as a youth pastor for about 12 years, what's really funny is the issue of dads often came up. And here's the thing, I'm not a dad basher. As you just saw, I love dads. I think dads are the funniest thing on the planet, right? If you ask my family what's their most enjoyable part of me, it is by far laughing at me. You know, they've made a career out of it. And so I am not a dad basher. I have met tons and tons of wonderful fathers, and and I feel blessed to have one as well. But I think you'd almost have to be blind or deaf to not realize that fatherhood is under attack in America. Now, I'm not an expert, but I see why a lot of people in our day and age struggle when we use the term heavenly father, because the word father and the concept of fatherhood is so under attack. In fact, for most, most people, the concept of father is to be avoided with as much effort as possible. And over 12 years of youth ministry, I heard sort of what I would call the common stories. And here was kind of a common story that I heard with many of the girls who were in our youth group. They would say kind of something like this. My dad left before I was 10. Now, he assured me that it was not about me, that it was about him, that he needed to find himself. But what does a little girl hear? It's all about me. At first, the phone calls are steady, then less frequent over time, pretty soon turning into short little texts and eventually decaying into months-long silence. When confronted, these dads often talk about how busy they are, as if that's noble to a girl who just wants her dad. But the translation in my heart is often this, you're simply not my priority anymore. And so I walk away feeling unlovable, not worth anybody's time unless I'm doing something for them, and I feel so easy to leave. I just feel easy to leave. Now, here's a common story I hear among a lot of the boys. Nothing I did was ever good enough for my dad. He would say things like, try to do better next time, even when I had just done my very best. Had a winning season in Little League? Well, son, you can always do better next year. Got an A on a test? Well, son, you know, one good grade doesn't mean you'll pass. Took a girl to the prom? Don't screw it up or she may never talk to you again. After a while... It was not that my dad didn't want to talk to me, but I didn't want to talk to him. I just couldn't hear one more speech where I didn't measure up, which left me feeling condemned and rejected, feeling like I was doomed to failure. I can't wait to leave. Now, in one instance, the dad left his daughter feeling like she was easy to leave as he was the one who left. In, the ne- in another instance, that you'll never be good enough standard left the son feeling like he couldn't wait to leave. But in both instances, in both stories, you hear the word leave in there. Now, because we cannot see God and because we cannot touch God like a human father, it can very much feel like God has left. He's somewhere, but he's not here. Because we can't do what we can do with each other in the same way that we can with God in a physical sense. And on the other hand, if you misunderstand passages of the Bible, and many people do, too many people do, you could very well see God as a father who you'd rather just leave because he has standards that you feel you could never meet. 
what I'm trying to accomplish, and when I say I'm, I mean the Holy Spirit, what God is trying to accomplish through this series, No, Not, Never, is that these are firm foundations with which God builds his relationship with us, meaning they don't change, they don't shake, the devil can't shake them, earth can't shake them, people can't shake them, a nuclear bomb could not shake this foundation. That in Jesus, there is no condemnation. And we are not forsaken. And we will never be abandoned. When you start there, you realize that God is not a God who's ever going to leave. And God is not a God you ever want to leave. In fact, God is a God that you want to stay close to all the time. Because Even when you blow it, he's the God that's right there ready to pick you up and get you back on track. Amen? One of the ways in which we can get to know God is by getting to know Jesus. This is a hard concept for many Christians because we say Jesus Christ is the what of God? The Son, right? You know. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So when we see Jesus, we kind of see us, you know, how we are to relate to the Father, how we relate to it, and that is very much true. I don't want to dispel that for a moment. When we see Jesus, we see us relating to the Father. But the, the problem is Jesus is not merely the Son. He's also God himself. And he says a very important scripture in John chapter 14, verse 9, he says this. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. John 14, 9. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So if you want to learn a little bit about how our heavenly dad is, we only have to go as far as looking at the gospel and looking at Jesus, seeing what Jesus said, seeing what Jesus did, seeing how Jesus interacted to know this is how our Father interacts. So up on the screen here, you're going to see some of the ways in which I have sort of summarized it for you as to how God is that good dad that all of us yearn for. By the way, I have a great dad, but I still want the heavenly dad because he's infinitely better. No offense, dad. (laughs) He's infinitely better, all right? The first one is this. Next slide, real quick. So what kind of dad is God like? First of all, he is the father who heals us. He is the father who heals us. Uh, in, in our family, my, my wife is our primary healer because she's qualified <laughs> uh, and because she cares. You know, For me, oh, you're bleeding? Ah, just lick it. You know? <laughs> For her, <laughs> she'll get a Band-Aid, she'll clean it, she'll put Neosporin on it. You know? So we have delegated most of the healing in my family to my wife, but that does not mean that I have not gone in the middle of the night to get children's Tylenol, infant Motrin, you know, There is something about God that's so awesome. He's a healer. In fact, in the Gospels, stories of Jesus' healing occur 26 times. Not just once, not just twice. 26 times because Jesus wants to emphasize, me and the Father, we are healers. We want to heal you. Second thing is, he is a Father who provides for us. 37 times in the Gospels, you see Jesus providing in some way one time he fed 5,000 men who knows how many women and children were there lunch 
out of a few loaves of fish and bread. Another time, Peter couldn't pay his taxes. You know what? He provided for Peter's taxes. Now, how many of you would say, God, can you provide for my taxes? That's a pretty good deal. I'll take that one. All right? Yeah. Uh, when they ran out of wine at a re- wedding, Jesus provided the wine. And when Lazarus was dead and in the grave, he provided new life by resurrecting him from him. So the Father is a provider. So he's a, a Father who heals. He's a father who provides, right? He's also a dad who fights. He's a dad who fights for us. There is not just the enemy, but there are enemies out there. There is opposition. There are forces against everything God wants to do in your life, every good thing that God wants to do in your life. And God fights for us. 11 times in the gospel, Jesus is specifically fighting, and by the way, when I say fighting, it's really not much of a fight. Jesus is snapping his fingers and dismissing a demon from somebody. That's a better way to say it. He doesn't fight a demon. He doesn't drive out a demon. He says, go, and the demon's gone. All right, it's it's no fight here. But God fights for us, right? He fights uh, against the dark forces through exorcisms, deliverances, all that kind of stuff. Another thing is, and this one's number four, He's the father who dies for us. One time when um, uh, David Varela was teaching in the youth, I don't, might have, this may have been so long ago he was teaching in the kids ministry. He did kids and youth. But he showed a clip of, uh, oh man, David, you'll have to help me remember this. It was two kids and their dad on a cliff, right? And, and they're climbing a cliff. Now, these are things I would never do with my children because of this scenario. They're on the cliff, and all of a sudden, something happens, and there's too much weight on the rope, and one of them has to fall off and fall to their death. And so, I don't know, I can't remember the entire video, but essentially, the dad arranges so that it's him, and he cuts the rope, and he saves the kids' lives by falling to his death. That's the kind of God we have uh, the beauty of our God is uh, death isn't the end for him. <laughs> uh, he can die a thousand times and he'll be right there the next morning to love us and make us breakfast. Amen? <laughs> and last but not least, he is the Father who gives us life. All of you are here because a father, right, fathered you into this world. Well, if you look at that scripture in 1 Corinthians 15, it says the first man, Adam, which is the bodies we have, right? We're all from Adam, became a living being, but the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. Adam and Eve, they got us here in the flesh. But God is the one who gets us there in the spirit. Amen? Amen. So Jesus came to show us a different father, kind of an infinitely better and amazing father. In the Old Testament, One could say, I don't necessarily see this, but let's just go with it for a second. In the Old Testament, you could say that perhaps God was a little unapproachable, right? Uh, Look at some of these, you know, you might not know what they are, but on the left there, that's Mount Sinai, right? The only people who could go up and be with God on Mount Sinai was Moses and a few of the Israeli elders, 
right? Most of the people had to stay at the base of the mountain. And they saw thunder and lightning and all this kind of stuff going on there. You can kind of see, whoa, God lives in unapproachable glory, you know? Uh, when David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant that Indiana Jones found later, you know, when, when David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant up to Jerusalem, one, the, the oxen stumbled, it was about to fall. One of the priests reached out to touch the Ark, which symbolized the presence of God, and he instantly died. And everybody's kind of freaking out, you know. Uh, when once a year, right, the ark was placed in the temple and there was a curtain and you could not go in the curtain. If you went in the curtain and you weren't completely sinless, boom, you'd die. Once a year, they would send in the high priest. By the way, what is that day called? Mark, be quiet. Day of Atonement, which on our calendar is seen as Yom Kippur. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he'd say it in 0.25 seconds um, once a year just once a year one guy could go in behind the curtain and be with God so you could kind of see how in the Old Testament they were like you don't mess with God you don't get near God you just fear God and you try not to you know you can, you can almost kind of get that what was lost on the people of the Old Testament was the love part of God. They really got the fear part of God. So when Jesus comes to present God as Father, what is the first thing he does? He gets baptized. Jesus goes to get baptized. Now here's the interesting thing. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, we get what happens during Jesus' baptism. It says, a voice from heaven speaks, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. What an interesting thought. After centuries of silence, after centuries where the voice of the Lord went silent, what is the first thing that God's going to say? Is he going to give a scolding sermon? All right, everybody, sit down for four hours because I really got to write in all your ships. God doesn't do that. Does he kind of expound on his theological omniscience? All right, sit down. I'm going to tell you where snow really does come from. Nope, doesn't tell that either. Or he could have said nothing. God could have just simply stayed silent. But he didn't. The first thing God says, that's my boy. I love you, and I'm pleased with you. Now, all the people are going, what? What? That's God? Man, we, we thought we were going to see thunder and lightning. We thought a third of the people were going to die in plague. We thought, da, 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 da. what? God's a dad, and he loves his son, and he's pleased with him? Total shocker to the people who were there. But you know what God said? is what every single one of us want to hear. You are my son. You're my daughter. You belong in my family. I love you. And I'm pleased with you. I'm proud of you. That's my boy. That's my girl. That is what happens. And that is the kind of father that Jesus is trying to tell us He's not just like this. He is this. He is this father. 
who loves you, accepts you, and is pleased with you, even when you're not very pleasing. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells another story. Jesus is telling this story specifically to heal any father wounds out there. People who may have been wounded by their dads. It's the story of the prodigal son. It's a simple story. A son wants to take his inheritance and leave home. So the father gives him his inheritance, and the son squanders it all by parting. So destitute and humbled, the son decides to go home and returns to the father. Now, how would you react? Think about this now. You have a net worth. Let's just say your net worth is 100000 I Hopefully it's more than that or whatever, but I use this because I'm not good at math and this will help me. <laughs> your net worth is 100000 You cash out fifty grand and give it to your son. And he says, I'm out of here. I ain't coming back. Thanks for giving me half of what you're worth. Because he's got a brother. So, right, the other half is going to go to the brother. And he's gone. And then one day he shows up again. What do you do in that moment? Do you first slap him silly and say, what got into you? Do you run and give him a big sloppy wet kiss? Or do you kind of ignore him for a few days to see if it's really real and genuine? What do you do? Come on, I think a lot of us, we would have a lot of weird feelings going on inside of us if that happened. Well, let's read about this in Luke chapter 15. It says, when he came to his senses, this is the son, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'm going to go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but please, if you could just make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, the family ring, the, has the crest and the seal of the family, and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. And says, so they began to celebrate. If you have a discussion sheet, you can go ahead and flip it over now. And on the back, just three points this morning, but hopefully these will do justice to the story. The first one is this. The father never gives up chasing down those who leave him. He never gives up chasing down those who leave him. You get the picture of a father who looked down that driveway every day. Whenever his duties permitted and the work was done, he was looking down that driveway 
hoping to see the figure of a solitary man and the silhouette of his son walking up that driveway. Many people, I think, see God maybe as passive, kind of disinterested in our lives, at least here on earth. I mean, God's all about getting us to heaven, right? But whatever happens down here, I mean, that's, you know, that's just whatever happens, happens. But Jesus told these stories to remove any doubt about God's heart toward us in the here and now and forevermore. Day by day, God is chasing after us, not to whip us, not to scold us, not to make us feel bad about ourselves or feel like, oh, if you could just be a little less sinful, you'd be a little less acceptable. You see none of that in the story, and that's on purpose. Jesus is trying to make a point here because the party in which he's at, he's at Matthew's house where they're all party animals. None of them are living a moral life. So they all don't think they could ever go back home. And Jesus is saying, while he was a long way off, filled with love and compassion, the father raced to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. There was a good friend of mine who, in, my, in the first church I served at, he had something called bipolar depression. You heard that by, maybe he was manic. I can't remember if it was bipolar, manic depression, but he had bipolar depression. Now, the interesting thing was he pulled. And because we were close, we served on many ministry teams together, it was kind of clear to me kind of when he was pulling. I, I could kind of see it. It was a bit observable, observable. And I remember when he pulled toward that real low depressive state i'd always like call him a lot <laughs> and I'd, I'd check in on him i, I was just always kind of worried about him you know and and uh I, I always would think you know oh i'm gonna end up picking him up on you know on the sidewalk in front of some bar or you know i was just always really worried about him and finally i sat down and i i told him i said you know you need to know i really get worried about you when you have a bad week or you know when you go low like this he said, you don't need to worry about me. And he said something I never forgot. He said, God always closes the gaps. God always closes the gaps. Yeah, I get low and I start escaping into things. And if God and I were here and I went here, this is what God does. God always closes the gaps. No matter where we at, what we're doing, what feeling we're feeling at the moment what mood we're in, or what the last few days have looked like, God closes the gaps and says, bring the robe, bring the ring, put on the sandals. Number two, this is interesting. The Father responds with joy when we turn to Him. The Father responds with joy. God has emotions. Grief is one of them, but joy is one of the primary emotions that he has. Many people think that God is hostile toward sinners. They get that because that's how they feel. They feel like their sin deserves hostility. Or that's how they treat people who sin against them. They're hospital, hostile. God is not like us. He's not like us at all. He doesn't get into a hissy fit when somebody offends him. 
all right? God is not like us. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. When we return him, it is utmost joy that God's experienced. Do I get it? No, I don't. Because I'm human. I'm sinful. A lot of me wants to grab a boy. Stop, stop, stop. What are you doing? You know, I'm like you. I'm like everybody else. I don't get this kind of love. That's why God is called God and not Tom. But, <laughs> but I do get this kind of love. Because probably over 100,000 times in my life, I've had this kind of love restore me back into his presence. In fact, you know what God says? Every time we turn back to the Father, it says all the angels in heaven rejoice and celebrate and have a party. You know what that tells me? The very culture of heaven, heaven, is joy and celebration. Joy and celebration. Man, that's a place I want to go. Not before I'm supposed to, but I want to go. <laughs> and then point number three, and this, this really is my main point. I hope you get this, and I hope this sinks in. The Father receives us back only as His children, never as servants. Not only did the Father run to embrace Him, Son, but he went all out to welcome him home. First of all, the, the father calls for a robe. Now, here, it's very important in this story. The father tells the servants to bring the man a robe. Why? Because he wants his servants to know he's not coming back as one of you. He is my son. And he is going to wear a royal robe. All right? That's the first thing. The second thing he does, he says, bring the ring. That's right. When you had the ring, you had the authority and the inheritance, the full inheritance of the family behind you. The third thing he says is bring sandals to put on his feet. Why? Because servants didn't wear sandals, but sons and daughters did. So while he's coming back saying, Dad, I've sinned. It's been awful. I spent half your net worth, and I, I don't expect you to like me. I don't expect you to love me. Can I just be one of your servants? Because your servants eat better than I have lately. And you know what the father says back to him? I will only accept you back as a son. I will not accept you back as a servant. Now, I don't know about you. That would be so hard for me to hear in that moment. I'd want to be punished. I'd want to be slapped. I'd want to be beat down and say, that's right. You're going to wear a servant's robe, forget those sandals, and you'll never see that ring again. That would make sense to me. In a weird way, I would almost feel a sense of relief if that's what happened. But instead, God pours a grace on this person that I think shocked and awed him for the rest of his life as he walked around with that robe and that ring and that sandal saying, I'm not worthy of this. Dad, who are you? I don't, uh, something has happened here I don't completely understand. I, I did this, I did this, and I did that. That's, I think, what many of us would feel like. 
But that's God. We're not His servants. I mean, doesn't mean we don't serve Him, but we're not His servants. Jesus is going to great lengths to say we're His sons. We're His daughters. And we are not condemned. Some of you, you may have blown it this week. God says there's grace and forgiveness for that. By the way, it's the grace and forgiveness that will cause us to repent. You could be whipped a thousand times that won't help you repent at all. I've told this story a lot, but it so fits with this sermon, I have to put it at the end again. Many years ago in Spain, there was a father and a son who had a horrible fight. The son moved out, never, didn't talk to the father. Eight to ten years went by. The father's heart had softened. He put an ad out in the paper. He said, my dear Paco, this is Papa. I want you to know you are welcome home. Let all be forgiven. Meet me at this certain square at 10 o'clock and I'll see you there. And when the father showed up there, there were 300 Pacos <laughs> waiting to be reunited with their father. <laughs> ah, maybe you had a dad who left. Or maybe you had a dad you left. But with God the Father, He's a Father who will never leave and one you'll never want to leave. For in Him there is no condemnation. All is forgiven. Just like the ad said. You are not forsaken. Indeed, He will only treat you as a son or a daughter. He will not let you become His servant or His slave. And finally, He will never abandon you. No matter what you've done, who you are, how far you've run. So instead of running from God the Father, instead of running from Him, this morning I encourage you to run to Him. Someone once told me, but I have an addiction that's been so hard to get rid of. I just, as soon as I can get over this, as soon as I can get some victory and, and, and get healed of this addiction, then man, I, God is the first thing I'm going to run to. And I would say this, you can do it that way, but it's the dumb way. It's the stupid way. Because God says, run to me now. Your sin has been paid for. In fact, if you really want to be free, I'm the one who can free you. I'm the one who can help you. Yeah, but what if, what, what if I stumble tomorrow? Then I'll be there with you tomorrow, and I'll pick you back up, and we'll get right on going. It, it blows our mind the way God is with us. But it is the way he is. It is the way he is with us. No condemnation, not forsaken, and never abandoned. Close your eyes, bow your head. Worship team going forward. Before we close our message today, 
I want to encourage you this morning to take some stock. How would you receive a wayward, wayward son? And how would you be received if you were that wayward son or daughter? I've seen too many churches turn away people because they didn't fit their DNA. I've seen too many families ostracize members because they were sinners. Too many people be too quick to draw boundaries because they didn't want somebody else's unhealth or weakness to, to maybe touch them a little. Now, there are boundaries you need to touch sometimes. I'm not saying there isn't. But sometimes when you see a guy sitting up against a building and he's homeless, you don't know why he's there. You don't know why. I used to think, oh, well, they probably did this, 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 and this, and God has them there to teach you a lesson. Yeah, I was like that. I could be like that years ago. But now I look at them and I think, man, what did the devil do to beat you up so bad that you're here? And let's get you back with the Father so he can beat the devil up for you and get you where you need to go. Amen? If we could take the house lights down a little bit. Would you pray with me this morning? Say this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I do not know totally what you are like as my Father. But the first thing you said to Jesus was, you're my son and I love you. And the last thing Jesus said as he was dying on the cross is you're my dad and I trust you. Let that be good enough for me. You love me. I trust you. Instead of running from you, I commit to run to you in Jesus' name. Amen.